one Dustin spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. Upon release in 2006, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and legal paperwork. In 2010, he kicked a long-time methamphetamine habit and started the long climb back up the ladder of life. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. If you want transparency and authenticity, you're in the right place. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and this is Sean Dustin. This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast, and I'm your host, Sean Dustin. Uh, hopefully that uh, this, this this choppiness, man, goes away. I uh, switched my, my internet, and I thought that it fixed the situation, and apparently it didn't, because sometimes it still does that, that shakiness there, so... Uh, if you enjoy the, uh, stream, the streaming platform that I'm using, it's called StreamYard. You can hit that affiliate link down in the description, which I've have right in front of you, and you'll get $10 off your first paid, uh, subscription, which is $25 is the minimum amount. And I'll get a credit too as well, and that helps support the show. Uh, if you're on YouTube, do me a favor and hit that subscribe button, thumbs the video up. Uh, on, on, uh, Facebook, do me a favor also and like and share this. Uh, podcast platforms, which this will be, uh, uploading in the next few days. Subscribe, please. Uh, that definitely helps to boost my noticeability or visibility on the platforms themselves. So that it's always a help. Uh, happy Friday. Uh, if you guys hope you got had a good week and I hope you have a great weekend. Uh, my guest tonight is Robert Grimshaw. And if you read the description, uh, Robert had a tough life growing up from the time he was three till he was 13. He dealt with uh, physical and mental abuse uh, from his stepmother. And oftentimes uh, he, he well, he actually he referred to that as the worst 10 years of his life. And so we're going to uh, see that and we're going to talk to Robert here in just a second. And he's going to tell us about his life and what he went through. What's up, Robert? Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for, you know, uh, sharing your, your evening with me. Uh, you are, um, on the, whereabouts are you located? Um, Northwest of Columbus, about an hour Northwest. Okay. Um, okay. In Ohio. Yeah. Nice. Nice. One of my, my, uh, business partners is, uh, li- she lives in Ohio as well. So it's good. Good. So, yeah. Your wife actually reached out to me. Um, we're on Clubhouse. It seems like everybody's yeah. on Clubhouse these days. That's all the rage for the iPhone people. Uh, and it's actually a great place to, you know, to make an organic connection with folks. Uh, if you have a, if you're content creators or if you have a coaching service or, you know, any of these things, Clubhouse is actually the spot right now. So if you can get there, I suggest it. There's good stuff going on there. So. She reached out to me and she thought it would be, you know, uh, helpful for you and also a great way uh, for you to help uh, share your story. 
and that's what we're going to do. So why don't you right go on. ahead and tell me a little bit about yourself, how you grew up, uh, what you went through, and this is going to be a regular organic conversation, and uh, I'll ask questions and stop you as uh, as I have them. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, man, I don't know where to begin. So I'm 34. Um, I'll be 34 in May, rather. Um, grew up in Columbus. Mom and dad divorced when I was three. Um, obviously I don't remember a lot of that. There's not a whole lot of memories because they ended up just hating each other. So there was never any pictures or any talk of any of the time before that. Um, but he met my stepmother. Um, no, go ahead. Sorry about that. (laughs) But, um, he met my stepmother when I was, when I was about three and then, you know, my memory started to develop about four whenever she really started, uh, I guess resenting me. I don't know her. She brought a, a daughter that was a year older into the relationship with my dad, and he ended up adopting her. So I don't know if she had some resentment against me because I wasn't her child, or because he. I, I think she hated my mom more than anything, and she was abused. Um, you know that cycle that we talked about. It, it. I think it started with her. I guess her brothers abused her and raped her and things like that. And um, yeah, just said from three to about 13, just physical, mental. I think the mental abuse was worse than the physical. She was really good about uh, physically abusing, you know, hitting, pulling hair, spitting in my face, things like that, things that wouldn't leave a mark where she couldn't get in any trouble. Mm. And then, you know, when you're three and four years old and that starts, it becomes the normal, you know. So people as I got older say, well, you didn't ever tell your dad, you never told anybody. Why well, didn't it's wrong to tell anybody, yeah. you know, when someone holds you down and, you know, beats the hell out of you. And like I said, spits in your mouth or spits in your face or, you know, things like that. Uh, I, I hate it's not, it's, it was normal, you know, but, um, it, it yeah, I don't know. Um, so it this- started when I was four. Yeah. So was this like a de- like a daily thing? You would come, uh, you know, obviously before you went to school, but when you, oh yeah, when you went to school, did what, I mean? Was that like your only relief? That was it. I, I I remember the last year I spent there. Like if there was a snow day or if there was you know a holiday, I hated it. I hated being home. I was the only kid who showed up every day for school. You know, I couldn't. I couldn't wait. It was to the point where. I'd get up at 4 or 4.30 in the morning, and I would clean the house. It's, it's like the Cinderella classic. And it, and it doesn't sound bad to me now, and maybe not to some people, but the mental strain it has on you as an adult, I think, is far worse than it is as a kid. But, you know, you get up at 4 in the morning um, and uh, clean the house, and then I would just sit Indian style in the middle of my floor. And, again, it doesn't sound bad, but when you just sit, for hours and then you go to school and then you come back. Summer times were terrible too, but um, you come home to your homework and you sit, you know, she would feed me the bare minimum. It, I hate to say it, but I ended up doing a little bit of time later on in life. And because of all that, it made it so much easier to get through the time. I hate to say that, but, um, but yeah, I got to where summer times, man, you know, I never, I, I tell people that I was locked in that bedroom 24 hours a day. My dad would work. That's all he did was work. So people would ask me, you never told your dad. I'm like, well, he didn't care. 
you know, it's not, it's not that he didn't know, he didn't care to know, you know, he didn't want to know. But, um, yeah, just, <laughs> I developed, I started later on, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old, I would start to talk to myself and have full conversations with myself because I didn't have any, the, the, I, as you can imagine at school, it was, I was awkward. I was an awkward kid. Yeah. But, um, I started to think I had an imaginary friend. I mean, she beat the hell out of me for that. Made a big deal about it. Humiliated me that I had an imaginary friend at eight years old. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know I was just talking to myself. Just, I think that's like a human reaction, you know, to talk to yourself if you haven't talked to anybody in what, however many days or weeks, but. And you were, you were an only child. I wasn't. No. Yeah. So she brought my older sister into the relationship. My dad adopted her. And then they had a, um, they had a daughter between the two of them. And, and obviously they weren't treated that way. Um, and I'm kind of downplaying everything. Some of the, some of the things, um, I don't know when I tell people, it doesn't sound that bad to me, but I've sat in depth conversations with, you know, friends of mine and people that are close to me and they're like, you know, it, it may not sound bad to you. That it's, it's terrible. Would you ever do that to your kids? And I'm like, well, absolutely not. You know, I'd kill somebody if they did that to my kids. But, um, yeah, again, it's just, the, the mental part of it as an adult, I think, is far worse than it was as a kid. And I think that led to choices I made later on to try to mask, you know what I mean, just thoughts of that. My big diagnosis with PTSD and anxiety and all that crap because of it. So Yeah, I so, yeah, I, ima- I imagine that you probably did suffer from uh, a certain amount of uh, anxiety from that. I know, I know what that, uh, that anxiety is like. It's, you know, when you try to explain it to somebody, sometimes they don't understand, but it's the, the anxiety and the PTSD. So the PTSD is the anxiety that yeah. you get when a certain situation creeps up that is similar to something that you've experienced before, or like, you know, what the outcome is going to be or what's coming. And that's that anxiety, which is kind of the PTSD of it, right? Uh, the yeah, part, yeah. And um, I mean, even, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go for it. Even, you know, she she would. Uh, my dad would go to bed fairly fairly early because he would get up so early, seven eight o'clock at night, and she would put me to bed when he went to bed, and then as soon as he would pass out, she'd get me out of bed. She'd get me out of bed and make me just stand for hours on end, and I re- I remember. Um, if my memory serves me right, that Jay Leno would come on at 11 p.m. and then it would come back on. I think at like one or two a.m. it would it, it would rerun, and I would stand there. I don't know from eight o'clock, nine o'clock until one or two in the morning. Then she put me in bed for a few hours, get me back up. Um, so I would often fall asleep in my room, and again, I was I had to sit in the same spot in the middle of the room to the point where I could feel where my legs and my butt, the imprint, were for so many years. Well, I would sneak to the corner next to I had a bed and a dresser in my room. That was it. I wasn't allowed to have things hanging on the wall or anything. But I would fall asleep, and I could hear the carpet move. Um, and I would sleep so lightly that I knew to assume the position, I guess, jump back in that spot and sit there. And that's affected me now to where I haven't had a good night's sleep in I don't know how many decades now because I hear any little sound in the house and it just, I'm awake because of that. You know what I mean? My brain is still in that mode from when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, whatever it was. You know what I, I know that sounds crazy, but that's the, that's the thing. Again, I keep stressing it. Like as an adult, it's so much worse. So if someone's, you know, obviously abusing children is terrible, but the person they're going to become, that's the monster. You know what I mean? That's, I don't know. That's the way I look at it, I guess. 
Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's. Uh, it's always. Well, it's not always, but I mean, a lot of the people that I've talked to, and and I've talked to other folks that have been in situations like this, and uh, it's uh, the step parents. You know, usually for the for the the girls, it's the stepfather that uh, right. that you know touched them inappropriately, or you know did inappropriate stuff. Oh, and with the uh, with the boys, it was the stepmother, and in some cases it was inappropriate, but a lot of cases it was just the uh, the uh, physical abuse, and you know whatever bad day they were going through got taken out on 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 the right. step on the step kid, which is horrible. I think it was her bad life. It got completely. It, it was every single day. That's that's another thing I can't stress. Even if it was just you know the things she would say. I grew up thinking my dad wasn't my dad to the point where, again, as an adult, you know, I question, you know, four of my five kids, you know, the oldest one isn't mine. I adopted him, but every aspect of my life has come back to things that she said. And and she was so good at manipulating people. I tell people, um, you know, she told you your name was Sean. You better check your driver's license because she can convince you anything. (laughs) You know, like she told you the sky was purple. You probably would believe her. And I don't know exactly what she went through growing up. And, and I haven't talked to my dad in 21 years. Children's Services, I finally spoke out. Um, she she attacked me with a pair of scissors um, and, and cut me, cut my hands up. And in the process, she was chasing me down. And I, I shut a door behind me to stop her. And she jammed the scissors in the door jam. And destroyed the, do- the door jam so now i have evidence you know yeah, yeah and i was i was 13 so i said something i think my mom you know children's services had been there so many times where i had said a few things to my mom or the few times she had left marks from hitting me and i would always no 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 nothing's going on because when they left things were just going to get worse but this one time um i finally just broke down and told the lady i was like you know look around you you can go you can just look around you and see something's not right here and it was in March of, of who oh, would have been 2002, I think. Uh, yeah, 2001, 2002. Yeah, 2002. No, it was 21 years ago. Yeah. Uh, in this month, and um, I haven't seen my dad a day since. I've reached out to him, and I still have this weird hold. Uh, a lot of things. I closed a lot of chapters, and I've got a lot of things situated as far as some stuff in the past. But for whatever reason, I just can't. I can't let go of just seeing my dad talking to my dad, and everyone's like, he's he has to accept responsibility for what he allowed to happen if he has anything to do with you, and he doesn't want to accept responsibility. Just just acknowledging you is accepting responsibility, I think, you know. So, but the worst thing too here, and you know, I talked to his family. It was you know, my stepmom would always tell me that if I ever moved in with my mother. Uh, my dad, even if he was on his deathbed, would never want anything to do with me. And I would tell my mom that, and she'd go, your dad loves you. He would never do that to you. Because she would always say, you know, why don't you just move in with me? And I always said, well, I don't want to lose my dad. I never wanted to disappoint my father. And I always felt like if I told him what was going on, it would I, I would disappoint him. Um, and it got to the point where I just didn't care anymore. Like I said, I finally told that lady, but... Um, about two years after I was living with my mom, a year, two years, um, she looked at me. She said, You're, he wasn't lying, you know, and now it's 21 years later. But anyhow, it took me about eight or nine years to reach out to his side of my family because she had me so convinced, even in my 20s, that, you know, 
if he didn't want anything to do with me, they for sure they don't want anything to do with me. Yeah. But they were ecstatic to hear from me. I finally got in touch with them. And I hate that even now, all these years later, it still gets brought up. And, you know, and the one thing I always say here is we always knew something was going on. Mm-hmm. To hear an adult tell you that in my entire childhood was ruined. You know, I barely stepped foot outside unless I was hitting the bus or going out on recess. Like, she took so much from me. And to hear another adult say, we always knew something was going on. Well, why didn't you say something? You know, why didn't you do something, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't be where I'm at now if not all of it didn't happen. So I feel like part of me feels like every, you know, the old cliche, everything happens for a reason or whatever. This is a simulation. Everything's there. Like, I kind of believe all that. But um, I hate to hear that. I hate – the thing I hate more than anything is to hear we always knew something was going on. So, so- I don't know. A question that I have is when you were younger, um, did you, you know, you know, some, some kids that were, or, or that, you know, grew up being abused, they had those, those signs, like they would wet the bed or, you know, they would do things like that, uh, that were sort of like telltale signs that something's going on. Right. Um, was there any of that or was it just, I, man, I was so scared to wet the bed at my dad's. I don't think I ever did, but I know at my mom's I did. Um, I think when they refer to that, like signs was just, I was just always locked in that room. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was never around it. it. It literally, I mean, they locked me in the room. I was locked in a bedroom. I tell people for 10 years of my life, I spent in a cell basically, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't, not that I recall, I was a hyper kid. Uh, when I see my sons, you know, and they, they had drugged me so bad. Again, she was manipulative, so she could, you know, she convinced these doctors that I was just a terror. And I think back, like, I probably was hyper. I mean, I was suppressed in this room all day long. Yeah, right. I got a little energy. I mean, I'm pent up. And then I see my sons now, and, and I get glimpses of what I could have been like, and I would never put them on it. They're just kids. They're being kids. And, I mean, I was on adult doses of, you know, I was like one of the first generations of like riddling kids, you know, yeah. and boy, they took advantage of it. They would isolate me in the, in the classrooms, you know, when they have like their sit down times, they would put me in a chair while everyone was sitting on the floor because I would just, I would nod out, you know, like a junkie or something. Um, and I, I have hormone issues because of that, even to this day, like little things like that have just trickled all the way down, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's... yeah, back to your original question. I don't think I, there were any signs yeah. like that. I don't, not that I recall, but. Yeah, that's uh, man, the Ritalin, all of that stuff. Uh, I never, I never got put on that, but uh, I was, I was a disruptive kid, and, and you know what? What kid isn't hyper? Like you're my daughter. Right. She, she runs around, and you know that's just part of what they do. You know, they, they like to push the lines. They like to test to mm. see how far they can get. You know, they, they want to. Yeah. A lot of times, they're just playing around. And they think it's funny, and they don't know any better. Right. And, you know, it's, uh, it's just part of being a kid. Uh, I know that yeah. do- doping them up on stuff isn't, isn't the answer. Take them to the right. park. You <laughs> take your kids right, to the right. park and let them run around. Let them run it off. Right. You know, on rare occasions, I was like allowed out of the room to watch TV or whatever. You yeah. know, I couldn't sit on the couch because I moved too much. Again, I mean, I'm, I can spread out a little bit. I have some freedom, you know, I'm a kid. So if I move, shift my leg or whatever, my sisters would complain. And it's like back in your room. <laughs> so yeah. uh, I don't know, man. 
All right. Well, let, let's but, shift a little bit. Uh, move move a little bit ahead there. Um, sorry that okay. happened to you, man. That sucks. Uh, and you know, trying to heal from those kind of traumas can oftentimes be very difficult and cause uh, you know dysfunctional behavior as an adult. And yeah. you know, obviously, you said that you've experienced some of that. Um, what uh, you had a situation where you fell in you fell in love and got married to your high school uh, sweetheart. Or something, no, I, or, you know, new in high yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I had moved in with my mom, the short version, when I was when I was 13. At 15, she went to a psychiatric ward. So I was left with my stepfather, who was a drunk. And in hindsight, he really was a great man. I, I picked up a lot of his mannerisms. I'd love to get in touch with him again one day. Um, but he was a drunk who just didn't know how to raise kids. He never had kids on his own. So I was out on the street. Um, when I was 15, I lived with a friend of mine and I actually, um, so I got back, my diploma at 15. So back up, what, what, what did that look like? so you say you were out What's on that? A, a, that you were out on the street. I mean, is it, do you say get out? Oh, well, I'm, I'll, yeah, pretty much. I mean, your mom's gone and I'm not going to deal with you. And, and I'll admit when I went to my mom's, I went from having zero freedom to having all the freedom. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm out running around and I was never like the drug and drinking kid so they didn't really ever have to worry about that i was the one telling everybody like we shouldn't be drinking right now and all my teenage friends were like shut the hell up if you're not you know what i mean get out of here <laughs> but i just i never liked stimulants uh which is funny how it plays later on in my life but um yeah he was it, you gotta go pack your shit you gotta get out i'm selling the house and i'm moving to florida you know your mom's gone we're divorcing um he couldn't handle my mom's a bipolar schizophrenic to the to the extreme and he couldn't handle that. That's I, that's originally how my dad, my father got custody of me. It's hard for a father in Franklin County, Ohio, to get custody um, over mom unless something's really wrong. Yeah. But, um, yeah, 15, I went and moved in with a friend of mine. I got my high school diploma, and then I started a full-time job. Um, and then when I was 17, I started changing oil at a place, met, met a guy, and needed a place to stay, moved in with him and met his sister. And... I was 17 at the time and she was 21 and that's, that was my first love. I mean, I never really experienced, I barely kissed a girl at that point. So, um, yeah, she was, she was dating someone at the time and, uh, he, he started abusing drugs and she was trying to get away from him. I guess I was kind of like her, her fling. I was younger than her and, you know, I was a virgin. She took my virginity. So I was, but I didn't want to lose her. I didn't know how to have a relationship at that point. Um, and I, I tried to get her pregnant. And she had been this guy for a few years, and they were never able to have kids. And she ended up pregnant. Well, um, we knew there was a chance that, like, I was so sure. I'm like, I've never done drugs or drank, and I'm young, and, you know, I'm in decent shape. Like, it's got to be my kid. I tried to get pregnant stupidly. Like, thinking back now, like, what a not only irresponsible, but what a selfish, just shithead move. You know what I mean? Um, but I was 17. Yeah. I was an idiot. And so long story short, I told her, I was like, you know, I'll take care of the baby no matter what. And we went through some stuff for a while while she was pregnant. And eventually we ended up back together. She was pretty convinced, like, yeah, it almost has to be your kid. But, um, yeah, the day at the hospital, he was born. He's, he's, uh, he's like, uh, almost half Jamaican. So it's pretty obvious when he was born that he wasn't mine. But I, I mean, I still adopted him and took him in. You know, like 
his biological father was in a position to take care of a kid. And neither, frankly, like in hindsight, neither was I 17, but I guess the lesser of two evils, you know, at least I was, I was present and, you know, I, and I was just head over heels in love with this woman. I didn't know any, anyone else or, you know, she was giving the attention I'd never had for anyone. And, uh, we ended up having two more kids. We had a, a daughter a year later. And then two years after that, we had a, a, a my son. So, but yeah, so it wasn't high school sweetheart, but I guess you can consider it that. Yeah. 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 Well, good on you, man, for, uh, you know, stepping up and, you know, taking care of that taking care of that kid you know a lot of guys yeah. you know may have went the other route and said you know well screw that it's not my kid i don't have I, I don't i'm not responsible for it right i think the realization was i tried to get pregnant again a shithead move so i gotta i gotta step up now actually the day he was born um at this point my mom was was getting her health back and i was headed to the elevator to leave i was ready to book it man and her mom was crying in the hallway and you know, I'm hitting the button, looking around. She's like, you better not leave. You better not leave. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm, in my mind, I was already packing the car, getting, getting out of Dodge. And my mom stepped off the elevator. She's like, where are you going? And I was like, man, he just, he's not my mom. She was like, you like you made a promise to that girl, and you're a better person than that. She's like, well, let's just go check it out. And if it wasn't for my mom stepping off the elevator, like, I don't know. My life would be completely different, I'm sure. You know? So yeah. just little things like that stick out. All right, and so let's uh, progress a little bit more forward. And yeah. you went, uh, ended up doing some time, got wrapped up in drugs yeah. and alcohol. Yeah, yeah. I, um, like I said, I never liked narcotics. Um, I was always scared to take anything. I, I didn't like that outside of myself feeling. I didn't like that stimulant feeling. I think I had enough of that as a kid um, to know that, it, you know. And actually, I had had an accident um, when I was fifteen. I almost lost my right leg and they gave me morphine in the hospital, put me in cardiac arrest. So I didn't like drugs and alcohol up until that point, And that really just sealed, you know, sealed it for me right there. So anyhow, I, I, um, was carrying a television, the old CRT televisions, the big heavy ones down the steps and thought I was on the last step was on the second to last and broke my ankle. And, you know, in the hospital, I have the band, the red band, no narcotics. Like I was up front. I don't want narcotics. I don't want that. And the doctor came in and convinced me, man. He was like, are you sure? Like, you know, we can give you something and you're in the right spot. You know, you're in the right place. If you have any adverse reactions, you know, there's things we can do to take care of that. And I thought it over and thought it over. And I said, okay, I'll try it. And he gave me a Vicodin. And uh, that that's all she wrote, man. I, I, never, I panicked when I took it. And when that thing kicked in, it was like my brain moves a thousand miles an hour as it is. It was almost like my brain fogged up in a good way, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Like everything just relaxed, you know, and, and I didn't know anything about opiate addiction. You know, I was ignorant to all that. And, um, so I took the script home and I abused them unbeknownst to me. I was abusing them. I didn't realize what I was doing. And then I didn't have them when I was sick, you know, I'm going through withdrawals and I tell people like, you could cut my finger off and I wouldn't complain as much as if I had a cold. So going through opiate withdrawals was like, just kill me, man. I couldn't yeah. take it. And I didn't know what it was. And a friend of mine was like, Oh, you're dope sick. <laughs> and I was like, I don't, I don't do heroin. Like, you, what are you talking? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, here, take this. Tell me if you feel better in 20 minutes. Give me a Vicodin. I felt better. And I was off to the races, man. Yeah. You know, it was my ex and I were going through a lot of stuff at the time. And that just took everything away. It took all the shit that I went through as a kid away. It took everything I was going through with her away. Um, it just it put those blinders up. I don't know. It, it, 
if you have any experience with opiates, but that's, that's what they do for me. You know what I mean? They, they made everything better. <laughs> and it went from that uh, classic story, man, went from the doctor gave me the first Vicodin to, you know, Percocets to Perc 30s and then snorting Perc 30s. And then um, in the midst, I, it, actually before all that happened um, is when I, ironically enough, I picked up a, a burglary charge. Um, and then with the pressure of the burglary charge and all that, that's kind of when everything started to fall into place with the opiates after that, believe it or not. Uh, again, fast to fast forward even more, um, went from Perk 30s to um, was China white heroin that you snort. So I was like, oh, I'll never, I'll never do heroin. And he was like, oh, no, no. It was just fentanyl is what it was. And now this is 15 years ago, 16, 17 years ago. And before fentanyl is what it is now. And uh, so I'm snorting this China white and then you don't you can't find that anymore so then there's tar heroin i'm like oh what am i gonna do i can't afford these percocets my buddy's like i'll oh, just mud puddle and snort the heroin and i went from snorting the heroin to smoking the heroin and then from smoking the heroin to shooting it up again just classic story and then um yeah i never i never thankfully i never i knew that i tell told people if it's not the the mental part that's getting me. It's the physical. And if I can get over this, like I'll never, I'll never look back. So I knew not to burn any bridges. So I never did the robbing and the stealing and, and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, I, I went into hiding. I ended up, you know, my ex and I, she couldn't take it anymore. You know, I don't blame her. It just, I was draining money. You know, I was working and I was sustaining a habit. That's all I was doing, you know, $150, $200 a day. I was smoking it at the time. So, and, um, literally all my paychecks, I've always made pretty good money as a truck driver and all my money was just going to that man, every, every penny. So we split up and then, um, the job didn't last after that. So I ended up in one of the worst spots in Columbus called the bottoms. It's on the west, like almost downtown, the, the west side of downtown and, and abandoned houses living, living in the basements, abandoned houses, you know, building fires to stay warm and, and, Again, I never burn any bridges because I knew that when you have a homeless people, you know, you get to see this community and they're like, you know, you don't belong here. I'm like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> you know, I don't plan on being here five years from now. And I'm lucky, you know what I mean? Because some people are still there. I still see some of the people from, you know, 10 or 15 years ago that I was down there with. I still see them like panhandling and stuff. You know? And thankfully, I never had to do that. I always with the CDL, I always was able, even if I worked at a job for a week. There were always jobs where I could work for a week, get that week paycheck, and then, you know, go do my thing. But, yeah, so, and then I, uh, on top of that, I ended up with the probation from the burglary because I was just a whole mess. And, um, you know, after 12, 12, 30 drops, he was like, you know, I had seven or eight years on the table, and I got lucky the first time. And uh, I did four and a half months in, um, I guess with our county, it was kind of like how they called the workhouse here in Columbus. Yeah. And, uh, they sent me to like a, a low security, um, community based correctional facility. And, and that really, that really helped me out. I did four and a half months in there too. And things, things got way better after that. I took it serious. Basically I got, I went through this period of a total of three years on opiates. Nine months of that was on heroin um, and then I got clean and I haven't, I haven't used anything since, uh, February of 2014. So I'm lucky that, 
you know, a lot of people out here relapse and relapse and relapse and relapse. And some of them get clean and some of them don't. And I'm lucky enough that it really was just the physical uh, withdrawals. Once I was over those, I was like, that was enough for me. I don't ever want to go through that ever again. So I was sick for 39 days in jail, man. It was, it was hell. Okay. So to answer your question, um, yeah, I do have experience with uh, opiate addiction. I went from uh, 18-year methamphetamine habit or addiction to right into a uh, an opi- a pain pill addiction. Same thing with you. And that lasted for about seven years. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And they, they knew in my, in, my, uh, in my charts that I was an addict already from you know from the meth and all that other stuff and um you know they still gave me the pain pills but they they made me oh wow yeah they made me sign that i that i wouldn't uh come after them uh you know basically just you know saying yeah you're not gonna come after us for giving you these and so yeah it ended up happening wow and, yeah i got to a point where i was buying like 500 dollars more uh, extra a month which isn't a lot considering you know what what they were but yeah those were those were tough to get off of um what i ended up doing was is i uh i think it's about six months before or maybe six to to almost a year before the podcast i knew when i started that and that was in may of 2000 may it was two years ago so it's may of 2019 i believe 1920 yeah and uh yeah so i knew that if i was going to do this podcast that um there's no way that I could be on pills or, or anything. Cause how in the world can I talk about nowhere to go, but up while I'm still getting, right. these, I'm still getting you know, 120 perks, you know, sometimes taking them, sometimes not, you know, doing, you, you can imagine what I was doing with the rest of them. Um, right. and so it, uh, you know, I, and so I did, I stopped and what I ended up doing is I just weaned down, uh, took half, 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 half until I got down to about a quarter, a quarter of a pill, and I switched over to edible marijuana and, nice. and, and, and transferred out or, or smoothed out the process of, of the withdrawals. They didn't go away a hundred percent, but they were a hell of a lot less than they, they had been prior when I would, you know, use too much and I would you right. know, be sick and just looking for more and like, Oh my God, I need more. Man, it was so everything yeah. revolved around those damn pills. Everything. Man. I said, man, if I could put as much effort as I put into just to finding them, like yeah. I had the money in my pocket just to find the things as I could, you know, if I put that amount of effort into to anything, you know, fixing something around the house, this house would be, you know, it, it's insane what you go through. Again, having the money and just trying to find them was a chore, you know. Yeah, yeah. But you'd get it done. There was no, I'm sure you know, there was no defeat in there. Like it was happening. You were no matter what. It didn't matter if it took you 12 hours. You're gonna find it. Oh yeah. yeah and I, you know, I've never found that mental relief. Um, you know, they put me on benzos and all that shit as an adult, and Believe it or not, I uh, watching Rogan's podcast. Uh, Chris Bell introduced me to kratom on the pot. Well, introduced you know his audience or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I take a gram of kratom every day. That mental, it, it's not really a stimulant anymore, but it just calms my brain down the same way um, that the opiates did without the stimulating effect. If that makes any sense. Um, so I use that for the PTSD and the anxiety. Actually, I have Tourette syndrome. And that helps with that a lot too. You know, I have fits a couple of times a month where my wife, it, you know, she can see it. It just tortures me, but 
Kratom, man, just a grand day has really, really, really changed a lot for me as well. I've been using that for about three years now. Thanks to that podcast. Yeah. You know, yeah. listening to him on it. I don't know if you're, if you've heard that one or not, but he talks I, about the receptors that it hits. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I have. Um, yeah, yeah. I use, uh, you know, I use, uh, I, I microdose THC daily. So I'll, I'll, I eat. Oh, really? Yeah. I make my own chocolate and, uh, I'll just, you know, I know what my dosage is and I know, you know, what, what to take to not, you know, get to where I don't want to go. Cause when you, yeah. I don't know for anybody out there that doesn't know, and you probably heard me talking about this plenty, but if you haven't, uh, there's nothing fun about taking too much edible marijuana because the high that you go to is not a fun place. Um, it's usually full That's of, ang- a- it's usually full of anxiety and like, Oh my God. Am I, am yeah, I, I am can't I gonna die? <laughs> do THC at all. I like CBD, but I tell them if it has any THC, I'm going to tear my house apart because I just I cannot handle THC at all, which is the opposite of my mom. I think she she's used enough THC for the next four generations of my family. That's all she does. But I, I can't imagine. I, I bet the way you feel when you eat too much is how I feel just taking one hit off of a joint. Man. I just freak the fuck out. Man. I, yeah. can't, I can't take it. It, uh, it doesn't like me and I don't like it, but. So Alice, uh, says, what is Robert using? I've never heard of it before. It's called Kratom. And I think the proper spelling of that is K-R-A-T-O-M. Yep. Yeah. That's a plant. It's related to the coffee plant. And, um, (laughs) simplest terms, it kind of bounces around the same receptors that, um, opiates do, but it doesn't quite lock itself into those receptors. So it, um, you get sort of some effect without any of the detrimental side effects from it. You know, um, I wouldn't recommend to anybody who has been an addict or, you know, I have heard of people using it to get off suboxone methadone, but I'm sure that's like really high doses. So I guess you could say Graham might be considered microdosing it. Hmm. Um, but do a bunch of research and talk to people before you use it. That's why I always tell people. Yeah. The, so especially you- if you've had a, addiction issues. Yeah, they used to sell it in the in the head shops. Uh, you go to yeah. They... I'm sorry. Oh no, no. There's a little bit of a lag here, so it you know it's gonna it'll happen. Um, yeah, so they usually sell it in like the head shops or or I, I don't I don't even know if I can get it around here anymore. Are you there? There I have no idea what happened. You just disappeared. Yeah, this. Can the, you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. Sorry about that, okay. man. It's uh, like I said, this inter- okay. this internet is driving me nuts. Um, I got a. I had. I, I I bumped it up to the uh, to the the most expensive one that they have on the uh, on the uh, whatever it's called the uh, residential one, and it's mm-hmm. still doing the same thing. So it's I got to get them out here and run a, a dedicated line to it. Like, yeah. one, like, like one off of the, uh, cause I'm sharing, uh, I'm sharing one. That's a long story. Yeah. <laughs> Either um, way, it's annoying. Yeah. I, I would back to the Kratom really fast. There's actually Kratom stores in Columbus that sells, you know, specifically sell Kratom. It's really inexpensive. If you go to some of the head shops, they're like 30, $40 per ounce. 
um, if you go to a creative store, even online, there's a couple of companies online that are really good. They're seven bucks an ounce. Wow. You know, and that lasts, you know, doing a gram a day, you know, 16 days it lasts. But, but anyway, yeah. Well, it's definitely a lot it's, better than, than, than taking pills. So, oh man. Yeah. And it, it, I hate to even tell people I do it. So like, Oh, well you replace one addiction with another and it's that, or I'm going to be, you know, again, I was on adult doses of Zoloft and Ritalin. I'm not taking pharmaceuticals because I'm taking this, you know? So, yeah. At the end of the day, just, you know, what I would what I would say to people when I go into some of those clubhouse rooms and they have the uh, you know they're talking about addiction and stuff like that, I definitely tell them that it's what works for you. Yeah. Right. At the at right. the end of the day, uh, you're the one that has to deal with your life and and your situation and your issues. So if like, cause there's always those things in our life. And for me, it was meth that you just can't mess with. Right. Yeah. No matter how many times you do it, no how many times you try to do it differently, or at least that I tried to do it differently, it always had the same outcome. Uh, maybe not as, as quickly, you know, as before, or, you know, it, but it, the same thing would always happen. I'd lose right. everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Bottom line. Yeah. And so, you know, I can't mess with that. And I know that, but. You know, through my, uh, you know, going through life and doing different drugs and, you know, I've done a lot of them. The only one I haven't done is heroin and, uh, maybe me me I might have done mescaline once, but I mean, there's heroin was the, was it. And I never yeah. slammed, uh, 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 any kind of drug because, you know, I was a better, I was a better drug addict than that. Those guys yeah, over there that I are doing that, that. <laughs> those guys over there, they're the ones that have the problem. I tell people, like, if I could use heroin or opiates every day in my life with no detrimental consequences, I would because they make you feel good. They make you feel amazing. And, I mean, you know, why do you kiss your significant other? Like, why do we have sex? It's because you want to feel good, Yeah. you know, but you can't, unfortunately. And I have an unpopular opinion, like, in my – I'm only speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for other people, but I don't consider myself – um, an addict, you know, once you're an addict, you're always an addict. And I've kept that mindset out of my head because I don't want to use it as a crutch. And I don't feel like I'm an addict, you know, for nine months of my life. Um, I was using heroin for like maybe three months of that is when I was shooting it up. But that was such a small part of these 33 years I've had on earth. And due to some people, does that define who I am? Yeah, of course it does. And it always will. And there's not shit that I can do. You know, I could run a multi-million dollar company and they're still going to see me as a junkie. I don't care. I don't have time for those people. I don't care. Um, but for everyone else who knows me, you know, there's a lot of people out there. Again, I disappeared because I was so ashamed. There's a lot of people who wouldn't even believe you now if you told them. Because yeah. I was the kid again telling everybody, like, don't do that, guys. You know what I mean? Like, it's not good for you. And I was also the guy telling everybody not to have kids. And then, I'm, <laughs> you know, I had kids at 17 years old. But um, it, for me, I don't consider myself an addict. And, and uh, I have, I have, you know, I can drink and not have an issue with it um i i just again it's such an unpopular opinion i'm trying to watch what i say but in in, in my particular case i again i can't speak for everybody it, it's not it's not who i am i'm not always going to be an addict I, I once had an addiction i had a problem with addiction but i'm not going to be an addict the rest of my life and i'm not going to be defined as that you know so 
No, I don't, I, I don't know if that's. No, I, I, I agree with that. You know, we're if just, I mean, we're never, we're not the same people we were six months ago. And exactly, you yeah. know, and and if you are, then you know, maybe you might want to take a look at that because you may not be doing this life thing right. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're still stuck right. in, 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 you know, exactly not progressing or not learning, um, you know, from your mistakes and failing forward. I mean, if you're failing backwards all the time, you know, take a look at that. Why? Right. Why is that happening? Because most of us, you know, that are that are on a path of, of trying to do better and trying to, um, you know, progress and, and, you know, not be the same kind of person that we were at one point in our life that made things hard on us or bad or you know whatever your situation was um you know trying to be a better person tomorrow than you were today is the right way to go about it right and so yeah that's uh yeah completely agree with you like so, you said even just six months ago man yeah, so let's move forward again, and you have another aspect of your life too. So you've gone through all of that. Yeah. Um, you know, you 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 you're not addicted anymore, and you're not taking the drugs. You're not doing any of that stuff. Uh, your 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 family dynamic now is actually one that most people might be uh, envious of. Yeah, I um, I was I was still very unorganized. I guess is the easiest way to say it when I got out of when I got out of prison. Um, so it took a few years of me bouncing around and being that person that I was never able to be when I was younger before I met my ex and, um, you know, went, went out and had fun and met people. And then I met my wife and, um, when we got together and things started to get serious, I told her like, look, you know, my ex and I still have a relationship. Um, we'll never be together again. There's a reason we're not together now. It's for the best. But in order for, you know, us to be together, like you have to accept not only my kids, that's a given, but you have to accept that she's going to be in my life. Um, and, you know, my wife and I now, I mean, we met, we actually met on a dating website and we have two kids of our own and, um, we're all just one extended family. We all do things together. You know, we go to their house in Columbus for Christmas and there's been a few years where my ex, um, and her family have been able to buy more gifts for my current wife and I's kids than we were, you know, we, so, um, actually tomorrow, my son, my four-year-old that my wife and I have now is going to stay with my ex-wife. Um, and my kids at her house for a couple of days for his birthday, you know, they take him on his birthday to do stuff. So it's, there's no animosity. And, and I made that clear from the beginning. There was actually someone I had was talking to before my wife and she was so grossed out by that. She was so appalled and that's, that's weird. And that's not right. And you guys shouldn't be doing that. I said, well, you gotta go, you know, yeah, that's the way it is. You know, that's the way it should be. I'm not going to put my kids through. My parents couldn't even be in the same room together. Like, if I knew there were parent-teacher conferences, that was torture on me. And I'm sure it was torture on them. So not only am I not going to put my kids through that, I'm not going to put myself and my wife and my ex-wife and whoever she's with. I'm not going to put us all through that. And thank God that my wife was on board 100% and that my ex-wife. You know, it, it took a little coming around for her um, because I kind of was um, – <laughs> 
like I said, I was living out the life that I never had before. So she never knew when I was going to settle down with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she, when she realized that my wife and I, you know, we got married and, and had kids. Yeah. Things, things are great, man. I can't, you know, we were talking before the show about the self-sabotage. I'm like, when things have been so good for so long, either it's going to fall apart or I'm going to mess it up, man. And thankfully so far it hasn't happened. So yeah, yeah, I've done a, I've done a few episodes on self sabotage. Um, yeah, I think I've done two of them so far. Uh, one a year ago, and then one just recently. And it's a real thing, man. It it, it definitely yeah. is. You know, when you're used to growing up in chaos, uh, you know, the natural, at least for me, is you know I do really, 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 really well, and it's just like, no, it's like I don't. It's like I'm waiting for the. I'm I'm just like okay. When's it gonna, when's it gonna, right. when's it all gonna, you know, when am yep. I, when am I gonna screw it up? And yep. sometimes it was like, all right, well, I didn't wait, I didn't wait for it. I just made it happen. Yeah. And if, if you feel like it's taking too long, you're like, stuff's just too good. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. I've done that. I've, I've, on multiple occasions, but one I can think of mind is I had a good secure spot. I was living with someone and, um, <laughs> we were, um, we, we, we were, growing and selling pot i'll just say that at the time it was kind of on the fence if it was legal or not and things were just going too good man and uh i felt like i had to justify like i I have to do something to get out of this and i didn't realize it until hindsight but yeah i um i up and took off with five pounds of weed and took it and put it in my car just drove away with it and pretend like i didn't know what happened with it and i didn't i didn't have anywhere to take it i didn't so if you if you want to say I stole it, I stole it, but that was not my intention. I just things were going too good, things were too stagnant, and when they kept asking why, I'm like, I don't know, you know. And I know it's what it was. It was self sabotage. Things were just going too good. Yeah. I needed, I needed to just fuck it up. <laughs> I hate to say that, yeah, man, but yeah. and it's unintentional until you look back at it. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, that's that's just one of the many cases, you know, where yeah, I don't know. So this is this is the longest stretch, all right. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. it's been about six or seven years now. Things have been going really well, and I hope it stays this way. It feels better than it ever has before, but that fear is still always there, and I don't know if it'll ever go away. I think it's pretty unhealthy to think um, to think like that as much as I do, but hopefully it passes. Yeah, for me too. This is a pretty long stretch that I've had where you know I haven't done anything, but you know the podcast really helps with that. Uh, it, oh, hel- that. it helps me to stay accountable. Um, I'm very transparent about all of the things that I struggle with and, you know, the things that I do and I've done, uh, including being an abusive person that, that was, that was a hard one to come out and say, and to actually say that, um, you know, cause you know, you you don't want to think of yourself in that light, right? It's, uh, now if you do it again, there's no excuse cause you've already, Mm -hmm. you put it out there. Now you have no excuse before you can say, Oh, I didn't realize what I was doing, but yeah, yeah, you know what you're doing now. Yeah. So, I mean, that's part of the reason. So if I put it out there in the universe and I let everybody know about it, then now I have to be accountable to, for my actions and my behavior. And, you know, I, it's like practice what you preach. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to be sitting up here saying that I'm, you know, doing this and I'm doing that. And then behind the scenes, it's like, I'm this completely other different guy. You know, I'm pretty much the same that what you, what you see here is what you see out there, you know, um, maybe, maybe a little bit, you know, lazier out there, but you know, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it just, it, it works for me. 
And I right. really, I really enjoy, uh, you know, reaching out and talking to different folks and seeing what worked for them, what they did, how they got through whatever it was that they were going through. And, um, you know, I really, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride. Let's just say that. Oh, I bet. I wish more people would, uh, I know you said what works for them. If more people would admit their problems, I think it would, it would help society as a whole. But some people just aren't willing to do it, man. No, you know? no, you're right. You're not. So. So we're at about 52 minutes here. Um, we're going to close this out. Uh, we got about right. an hour. I got a little, I got a daughter that's, uh, on the other side of that door trying to, <laughs> trying to get in. I'm, I'm lucky she hasn't been banging on it. She came in here one time and I'm like, oh, go over the way. Out, out, out. <laughs> but, uh, go ahead. Um, uh, if you got any final things or any thoughts that you want to get out that you didn't get a chance to, uh, touch on, go ahead and do that now. I'm going to flip up your, uh, Instagram handle right there uh oh that's not yours uh i said it looks familiar barefoot <laughs> yeah there's you yeah, don't really have anything to promote man there's your yeah. twitter damn it what did i do with that i must have put the wrong one on there <sighs> i so, think that's my instagram i don't know whatever yeah. she sent you no that's not your instagram that's my guest from oh, last okay. from last night's instagram so if you want to find all of the links that i've been you know flipping up on here including robert's instagram which I made a mistake, you know, I'm holding myself accountable. Uh, it does happen. And, uh, you know, go to the description below, uh, or if you're looking, actually it's the description above, I believe if you're on Facebook and if you're on YouTube, it's the description below and you'll find all of the direct links to everything that I've been throwing up here as well as ways to support the show. Um, whether you want to, you know, uh, leave a review, uh, go to my link tree, all the ways to connect there. All my social media links are there. Uh, if you want to buy me a coffee, you can actually do that. There is a app uh, and a link down there where you can buy me a coffee if you feel like I deserve one. If you're getting value out of what I'm producing here and you want to help support that, you can do that as well, too. Uh, no pressure. I, mean, I know we're all kind of in a, uh, you know, some people aren't working these days and some people are still struggling or trying to get out of that hole that, you know, we all got into at some point from uh, where we were uh, this last year. So no stress, no nothing. Uh, don't worry about it if you can't. But if you can, I'd sure appreciate it. Um, so yeah, any, you said you didn't have anything, any last words there? Nah, nah, nothing comes to mind, man. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. It was fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. It was great to have you. And, uh, like you said, I like, I like connecting with folks and, uh, maybe nice. now since we've had this conversation and you see what I've, I'm doing, maybe you'll jump on and, uh, become a listener. So no, I am for sure. I'm looking forward to that. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Tons of content, man. I got about 118. This is one, well, this is 121, but of the published ones onto that platform for the podcast, I think I'm at 119. So there's a lot to, there's a lot to listen to there or to get oh, through. I got plenty of time to binge it throughout the day being in that truck. So yeah, I was looking forward to getting this, getting this out of the way so I can jump into them, man. So yeah, I appreciate it, man. Awesome, man. Well, you take care and, uh, hold on for a second. Uh, when we, when I close this out with the outro and then I'll, um, I've got some instructions for you of what to expect, uh, coming down once we're, once this is all published and everything. Okay. All cool. right. And for everybody else out there, um, what we are doing here, we have, uh, 
This is the last one that we're doing for the week. I got a couple maybe lined up next weekend or actually next next weekend, next week. Uh, tomorrow I've got a really, really good uh, interview that I've been waiting for. Um, there's a, a documentary series that I watch, or not a series, but a documentary that I watch called uh, From JFK to 9-11, Everything's a Rich Man's Trick. And you can find that on YouTube if you just type in exactly what I said. And that was by a guy named Francis Richard Connolly. And I'm going to be talking to him tomorrow and interviewing him. So I'm really excited about that. It's not going to be a live. We're doing it on Skype. So uh, it's it's what he's used to. So I made an exception. <coughs> Excuse me. I made an exception because I really want to talk to him. So look forward to that coming out, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks from now. Uh, I might replay it as a uh, live stream, just like you're seeing here, but you just won't be able to interact with him or ask him questions. I'll be here, but the uh, it will just be playing um, as a replay. So have a good evening. Have a good weekend. Uh Stay true to yourself and keep it 100. You've been listening to the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. Sean is a single dad, a union blue collar guy, and he spent time in federal and state prison for drug trafficking and fraud. When he was released from prison in 2006, all he had was the clothes on his back, a bag of mail, and some paperwork. Since then, he's turned his life around and shares the struggles and successes on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we hope you were moved to connect to the show. Book a guest spot. For merch, Patreon, PayPal, and social media links, go to linktr.ee slash nowhere to go but up. On Instagram at nowhere to go but up now. On Twitter at but up now. On the YouTube channel at nowhere to go but up podcast. See you next time.